Chapter Eight of Emily Bronte by Agnes Mary Frances Robinson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. A retrospect. Poor, brilliant, gay, moody, moping, wildly excitable, miserable Bronte. No history records your many struggles after the good, your wit, brilliance, attractiveness, eagerness for excitement all the qualities which made you such good company and dragged you down to an untimely grave thus ejaculates mr francis h grundy remembering the boon companion of his early years the half insane pitiful creature that opium and brandy had made of clever branwell at twenty-two returned from bradford his nervous system racked by opium fumes he had loitered about at Haworth until his father, stubborn as he was, perceived the obvious fact that every idle day led his only son more hopelessly down to the pit of ruin. At last he exerted his influence to find some work for Branwell and obtained for his reckless, fanciful, morbid lad the post of station-master at a small roadside place Ludenden foot by name on the lancashire and yorkshire railway thither he went some months before charlotte and emily left for brussels it was there mr grundy met him a novel station-master had a position been chosen for this strange creature for the express purpose of driving him several steps to the bad this must have been it the line was only just opened the station was a rude wooden hut and there was no village near at hand alone in the wilds of yorkshire with few books little to do no prospects and wretched pay with no society congenial to his better taste but plenty of wild rollicking hard-headed half-educated manufacturers who would welcome him to their houses and drink with him as often as he chose to come what was this morbid man who couldn't bear to be alone to do footnote pictures of the past f h grundy and footnote what branwell always did in fine was that which was easiest to him to do he drank himself violent when he did not drink himself maudlin he left the porter at the station to keep the books and would go off for days on the drink with his friends and fellow carousers about this time mr grundy then an engineer at halifax fell in with the poor half-demented lonely creature and for a while things went a little better drink and riot had not embellished the tawny-maned laughing handsome darling of haworth here is his portrait as at this time he appeared to his friend he was insignificantly small one of his life's trials he had a mass of red hair which he wore brushed high off his forehead to help his height i fancy a great bumpy intellectual forehead nearly half the size of the whole facial contour small ferrety eyes deep sunk and still further hidden by the never removed spectacles prominent nose but weak lower features he had a downcast look which never varied save for a rapid momentary glance at long intervals small and thin of person he was the reverse of attractive at first sight yet this insignificant sunken-eyed slip of humanity had a spell for those who heard him speak there was no subject moral intellectual or philosophic 
too remote or too profound for him to measure it at a moment's notice with the ever-ready fallacious plumb-line of his brilliant vanity he would talk for hours be eloquent convincing almost noble and afterwards accompany his audience to the nearest public-house at times we would drive over in a gig to haworth twelve miles and visit his people he was there at his best and would be eloquent and amusing although sometimes he would burst into tears when returning and swear that he meant to amend i believe however that he was half mad and could not control himself so must his friends and kindness think mad if haunting morbid dreads and fancies conjured up by poisonous drugs and never to be laid if a will laid prostrate under the yoke of unclean habits if a constitution prone to nervous derangement and blighted by early excess if such things forcing him by imperceptible daily pressure to choose the things he loathed to be the thing he feared to act a part abhorrent to his soul if such estranging and falsification of a man's true self may count as lunacy the luckless worthless boy was mad it must have galled him going home to be welcomed so kindly hoped so much from by those who had forgiven amply and did not dream how heavy a mortgage had since been laid upon their pardon to have talked to the prim pretty old lady who denied herself every day to save an inheritance for him to watch pious gentle anne into whose dreams the sins she prayed against had never entered worst of all the sight of his respectable well-preserved father honoured by all the parish successful placed by his own stern continued will high beyond the onslaughts of temptation yet with a temperament singularly akin to that morbid passionate son's so he would weep going home weep for his falling off and perhaps more sincerely for the short life of his contrition then the long evenings alone with his thoughts in that lonely place would make him afraid of repentance afraid of god himself night all he would drink he had fits of as contrary pride he was proud of his name his strength and his abilities proud of his name he wrote a poem on it bronte an eulogy of nelson which won the patronizing approbation of lee hunt miss martineau and others to whom at his special request it was submitted had he ever heard of his dozen aunts and uncles the pruntys of ahaderg or if not with what sensations must the vicar of haworth have listened to this blazoning forth and triumphing over the glories of his ancient name branwell had fits of passion too the repetition of his father's vagaries i have seen him drive his doubled fist through the panels of a door it seemed to soothe him the rough side of his nature got full play and perhaps won him some respect denied to his cleverness in the society amongst which he was chiefly thrown for a little time the companionship of mr grundy served to rescue him from utter abandonment to license but in the midst of this improvement the crash came as he had sown he reaped those long absences drinking at the houses of his friends had been turned to account by the one other inhabitant of the station at Londonfoot. the luggage-porter was left to keep the books 
and following his master's example he sought his own enjoyment before his employer's gain he must have made a pretty penny out of those escapades of branwell's for some months after the vicar of haworth had obtained his son's appointment when the books received their customary examination serious defalcations were discovered an inquiry was instituted which brought to light branwell's peculiar method of managing the station the lad himself was not suspected of actual theft but so continued so glaring had been his negligence so hopeless the cause that he was summarily dismissed the company's service and sent home in dire disgrace to haworth he came home not only in disgrace but ill never strong his constitution was deranged and broken by his excesses yet strangely enough consumption which carried off so prematurely the more highly gifted the more strongly principled daughters of the house consumption which might have been originally produced by the vicious life this youth had led laid no claim upon him his mother's character and her disease descended to her daughters only branwell inherited his father's violent temper strong passions and nervous weakness without the strength of will and moral fibre that made his father remarkable probably this brilliant weak shallow selfish lad reproduced accurately enough the characteristics of some former prunty for patrick branwell was as distinctly an irishman as if his childhood had been spent in his grandfather's cabin at ahadurg he came home to find his sisters all away anne in her situation as governess emily and charlotte in rue d'isabelle no one therefore to be a check upon his habits save the neat old lady growing weaker day by day who spent nearly all her time in her bedroom to avoid the paven floors of the basement and the father who did not care for company took his meals alone for fear of indigestion and found it necessary to spend the succeeding time in perfect quiet the greater part of the day was therefore at branwell's uncontrolled unsupervised disposal to do him justice he does seem to have made so much effort after a new place of work as was involved in writing letters to his friend grundy and probably to others suing for employment but his offence had been too glaring to be condoned mr grundy seems to have advised the hapless young man to take shelter in the church where the influence of his father and his mother's relatives might help him along but as branwell said he had not a single qualification save perhaps hypocrisy parsons sons rarely have a great idea of the church the energy self-denial and endurance which a clergyman ought to possess were certainly not in branwell's line besides how could he take his degree montgomery it seems recommended him to make trial of literature all very well but i have little conceit of myself and great desire for activity you say that you write with feelings similar to those with which you last left me keep them no longer i trust i am somewhat changed or i should not be worth a thought and though nothing could ever give me your buoyant spirits and an outward man corresponding therewith i may in dress and appearance emulate something like ordinary decency and now wherever coming years may lead greenland snows or sands of africa i trust etc ninth of june eighteen forty two it is doubtful judging from branwell's letters and his verses 
whether anything much better than his father's cottage in the wood would have resulted from his following the advice of james montgomery fluent ease often on the verge of twaddle from here and there a bright felicitous touch with here and there a smack of the conventional hymn-book and pulpit twang such weak and characterless effusions are all that is left of the passion-ridden pseudo-genius of haworth real genius is perhaps seldom of such showy temperament poor branwell it needed greater strength than his to retrieve that first false step into ruin he cannot help himself and can find no one to help him he appeals again to mr grundy in a letter which must from internal evidence have been written about this time although a different and impossible year is printed at its heading dear sir i cannot avoid the temptation to cheer my spirits by scribbling a few lines to you while i sit here alone all the household being at church the sole occupant of an ancient parsonage among lonely hills which probably will never hear the whistle of an engine till i am in my grave after experiencing since my return home extreme pain and illness with mental depression worse than either i have at length acquired health and strength and soundness of mind far superior i trust to anything shown by that miserable wreck you used to know under my name i can now speak cheerfully and enjoy the company of another without the stimulus of six glasses of whisky i can write think and act with some apparent approach to resolution and i only want a motive for exertion to be happier than i have been for years but i feel my recovery from almost insanity to be retarded by having nothing to listen to except the wind moaning among the old chimneys and older ash-trees nothing to look at except heathery hills walked over when life had all to hope for and nothing to regret with me no one to speak to except crabbed old greeks and romans who have been dust the last five sick thousand years and yet this quiet life from its contrast makes the year past at Luddendenfoot appear like a nightmare for i would rather give my hand than undergo again the grovelling carelessness the malignant yet cold debauchery the determination to find out how far mind could carry body without both being chucked into hell which too often marked my conduct when there lost as i was to all i really liked and seeking relief in the indulgence of feelings which formed the blackest spot in my character yet i have something still left me which may do me service but i ought not to remain too long in solitude for the world soon forgets those who have bidden it good-bye quiet is an excellent cure but no medicine should be continued after a patient's recovery so i am about though ashamed of the business to dun you for answers to blank excuse the trouble i am giving to one on whose kindness i have no claim and for whose services i am offering no return except gratitude and thankfulness which are already due to you give my sincere regards to mr stevenson a word or two to show you have not altogether forgotten me will greatly please yours etc alas no helping hand rescued the sinking wretch from the quicksands of idle sensuality which slowly engulfed him yet at this time there might have been hope had he been kept from evil deliver himself he could not his great desire for activity seems to have had to be in abeyance for some months 
for on the 25th of October he is still at Haworth. He then writes to Mr. Grundy again. The letter brings us up to the time when, in the cheerless morning, Charlotte and Emily set out on their journey homewards. It reveals to us how much real undeserved suffering must have been going on side by side with Branwell's purposeless miseries in the grey old parsonage at Haworth. The good methodical old maiden aunt, who for twenty years had given the best of her heart to this gay affectionate nephew of hers, had come down to the edge of the grave, having waited long enough to see the hopeless fallacy of all her dreams for him, all her affection. Branwell, who was really tender-hearted, must have been sobered then. He writes to Mr. Grundy in a sincere and manly strain. My dear sir, there is no misunderstanding. I have had a long attendance at the deathbed of the Reverend Mr. Waitman, one of my dearest friends, and now I am attending at the deathbed of my aunt, who has been for twenty years as my mother. I expect her to die in a few hours. As my sisters are far from home, I have had much on my mind, and these things must serve as an apology for what was never intended as neglect of your friendship to us. I have meant not only to have written to you and to the Reverend James Martineau, gratefully and sincerely acknowledging the receipt of his most kindly and truthful criticism, at least in advice, though too generous far in praise, but one sad ceremony must I fear be gone through first. Give my most sincere respects to Mr. Stevenson, and excuse this scrawl. My eyes are too dim with sorrow to see well. Believe me, you're not very happy, but obliged friend and servant, P.B. Bronte. But not till three days later the end came. By that time Anne was home to tend the woman who had taken her, a little child, into her love and always kept her there. Anne had ever lived gladly with Miss Branwell. Her more dejected spirit did not resent the occasional oppressions, the little tyrannies which revolted Charlotte and silenced Emily. And at the last, all the constant self-sacrifice of those twenty years spent for their sake in a strange and hated country would shine out, and yet more endear the sufferer to those who had to lose her. On the twenty-ninth of October, Branwell again writes to his friend, My dear sir, as I don't want to lose a real friend, I write in deprecation of the tone of your letter. Death only has made me neglectful of your kindness, and I have lately had so much experience with him that your sister would not now blame me for indulging in gloomy visions, either of this world or of another. I am incoherent, I fear, but I have been waking two nights witnessing such agonizing suffering as I would not wish my worst enemy to endure, and I have now lost the pride and director of all the happy days connected with my childhood. I have suffered such sorrow since I last saw you at Haworth that I do not now care if I were fighting in India or blank, since when the mind is depressed, danger is the most effectual cure. Miss Branwell was dead, all was over. She was buried on a Tuesday morning before Charlotte and Emily, having travelled night and day, got home. They found Mr. Bronte and Anne sitting together, quietly mourning the customary presence to be known no more. Branwell was not there. It was the first time he would see his sisters since his great disgrace. He could not wait at home to welcome them. Miss Branwell's will had to be made known. 
the little property that she had saved out of her frugal income, was all left to her three nieces. Branwell had been her darling, the only son called by her name, but his disgrace had wounded her too deeply. He was not even mentioned in her will. End of chapter 8